All right, everybody at futureprimitive.org. Today I'm very excited because I'm speaking to a special guest, and it is author Jean Lidloff. Jean Lidloff lives in Sausalito. May I say, Joanna, may I say it's Lidloff? Yes, please say your name again. Lidloff. L-I-E-D-L-O-F-F, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Okay. Um, Jean Lidloff, did I say yes. it right? Oh, good. Yes, but Jean to you. Yes, thank you. Uh, Jean lives in Sausalito, California, near San Francisco, on a houseboat, which she shares with her cat. What is your cat's name? Uh, Tulip. Oh, good. <laughs> her work includes speaking engagements and consulting with people to help them apply the principles of the continuum concept, not only for parenting, but also for recovering from the adverse effects of a modern non-continuum upbringing. Right. Um, the, continuing, uh, the Continuum Concept is Lidloff's only book. However, she has written some articles and given interviews. Uh, she is not married, she has no children, but she feels glad to have contributed a book that has helped so many parents give their children a good start in life. Lately, she has been receiving positive feedback, not only from parents, but also from their grown children who were raised with continuum principles and are now having their own continuum kids. So I just want to say I'm excited because I read Jean's book 15 years ago and uh, I just underlined so many, so many things in the book. And then I shared it with my daughter, who since has had two children who are continuing babies. So I would like to ask you, Jean, uh, if you would like to say a few words to introduce yourself. Well, uh, Joanna, <clears throat> since you mentioned your daughter and your grandbabies, uh, why don't you say a little bit what their experience was? Oh. I mean, you asked me the name of your cat. That's so right. Tell me the name of your daughter. Yes, my daughter's name is Lara. Yeah. And she has two boys. Mm -hmm. One is called Nicholas and one is called Sasha. Oh, nice, yeah. And Nicholas was born in a hospital and it was long and grueling. Oh. However, yeah. he was in arms and... Um, cuddled from the first moment. He was not separated from his mother at birth. And, um, and then Sasha uh, was born at home. My, my, oh, perfect, yeah. Yes. My daughter was very, very brave. She actually delivered Sasha on her sofa. <laughs> yes. Right. And they cuddled and slept together all night. And uh, this child is like a sunflower. I can imagine, yes. And I just wanted to say about the continuum concept uh, that um, this 
child who is now a little more than one year old, one years old, is like a continuum of his mother's body at this time. There is no separation between the mother and the child. Well, <clears throat> how old is he now? He's a little over one year. Oh, well, but he's walking, isn't he? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he is. So he's, he's not being impeded from moving toward independence. No way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay, yeah. No. So, yeah, well, that's perfect. Yeah, that's very good. Because the more they have their background of being, you know, in contact 24 hours a day, the, the sooner and the more completely they can move toward independence when they're ready from their developmental stage. But if they have to spend their life trying to get back what they were missing at the beginning, they don't move so well and so, so uh, successfully into independence. That's right. They're afraid. Uh, yeah, they they right. don't feel safe. Not only they feel not feel safe, but they're looking for that initial feeling of rightness about self, you know, feeling mm -hmm. that I'm the right thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think you get that on, on parental authority, every, every one of us. You feel if my mother thinks I'm right and father, uh, then I must be right. And if my mother doesn't think I'm right, if she doesn't come when I cry, or even if I have to cry, right. get her to come. Uh, it's, there can't be anything wrong with her, but there must be something wrong with me. Right. And right. that's what most of us are living with in Western civilization, which is terribly sad when you think about it, but that has been the fashion, how to treat babies, you know. Yes. Let them cry, and well, they've got to learn, and all that sort of thing. Jean, I was very uh, intrigued because I read in one of your interviews that uh, we are innately explorers. Yeah. And I think, I think about you becoming an explorer. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> a bit of a... Well, you know, in a funny way that you mentioned that, Joanne, I hadn't thought of it quite like that before, but the fact that I was so, you know, sort of excited when I was invited to join an expedition to go into the jungle in South America, that, I mean, I just, you know, I, from, you know, early childhood, I always loved the idea of being Tarzan, or, you know, being in a jungle, it just seemed to me the sort of original place of me. Do you know where things had to be right? I mean, had to if, if a jungle isn't right, you know what is what is. Absolutely. You know, it like, and but you know, come to think of it, I mean, my sort of underlying motive through really my entire childhood, mm -hmm. and you know, past my childhood into my early life, and it's probably never really left me. The desire, the need to impress my mother that I am okay, that I'm okay, that I'm right. Yes. And that I'm lovable. Yes. And, and I don't know whether I mentioned to you when I spoke to you earlier, the two words that I think everyone ought to feel, every baby, every toddler, every child, and every adult, we ought to feel welcome and worthy. Mm. Those two words. And I think, you know, possibly I went to the jungle without thinking about it directly at the time, but maybe afterwards, um, to go exploring, but to make myself 
um, worthy. Do you know? Yes, yes. Make myself um, interesting. Because my mother never found me interesting. <laughs> do you know, I used to go go to her, you know, and, and, and I'd say, oh, I don't know, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, that kind of age, or ten, eleven. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, oh, mommy, uh, uh, you know what happened to me today? And, and I'd be talking too fast and, you know, in a really annoying way because I was so panicky that she was going to turn away from me. Yes. So I was even more annoying because I was, <laughs> you see, I was, I was trying to get her attention. And um, all I did was, you know, she, you know, she would sort of look, you know, annoyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, my my whole you know motivation, without being able to word it quite that way, was to to impress her and to look interesting. And ironically, when I came back from the first expedition, uh, there was an article about me in the New York Times, and then I was invited on the Today Show and interviewed. You know, when I was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson at mm-hmm. the time and interviewed. Mm-hmm. In other words, everybody else was interested in me, but yes. not my mother. Still not. So the exploring, you know, when I said that the baby's going exploring, well, of course they do. It. <clears throat> I mean, what I meant in their case was not to go off to far-off jungles and become an exotic, you know, uh, kind of a interesting um, person. But uh, exploring, I meant in the sense of, that babies, you know, go out and sniff and taste and touch and, and you know, that's their nature. Yes, yes. When they've had enough of the inner arm stage, they crawl off your lap. They, they descend, you know, like around six or eight months. Yes. When they've had all they want, you don't have to figure it out. They know when to go. Yes. So you hold them, but you just don't stop them. Yes. And then off they go, and they go sniffing and tasting and touching and, and watching to see whether you're still there. And then they go a little further. Do you know? Yes, yes. So do you feel that you've been an explorer in your life? Well, I mean, in the strict sense, yes, I went into unknown jungles. Yes. You know, in the sort of classic sense of an explorer. But I think more than that, if I had to describe myself, which I don't spend much time doing, mm-hmm. um, I think if I described myself, I'd be more of an observer. Mm. Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, I think what I did was I would observe. I mean, I noticed at a certain point that I was watching people much more than other people. Mm-hmm. I think I was in my, maybe my late teens or something before I noticed the fact that I was always watching people. Well, other people were sort of, you know, not paying all that much attention. But I was studying faces and watching and watching. I don't, I don't know why, but I just was like that. Yes. And then I think what I, I also tended to do from quite earlier on, quite early on, was to observe and and then kind of extrapolate principles from my observations. In, in other words, I try to understand what what there is about human nature that makes this kind of thing happen. Does that make sense? Very much so, yes. And that's what it, I mean, that's what my book is really about when you think about it. You know, I was looking, observing, mm-hmm. and then making statements about human nature. You know, I mean, almost in, in search of, if it doesn't sound too presumptuous, I was in, in search of a unified field theory. Yes, yes. 
And, and it turns out that people, you know, all yes. over the world now where the book is published and being read, that people feel that it speaks for them, not just to them, but it speaks. I say, yeah, that's, yeah, I've always felt that to be true, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jean, tell me, um, how can we unlearn things that... Um, that have um, that have uh, sort of killed our true nature. Well, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, I've done what I could just as one individual. Yes, you've done it's a lot. It's to say, it's to point out. I mean, for example, you take this. Have you heard of the so-called sleep expert, the great authority, this expert on what they call <clears throat> sleep problems? No, no, I haven't. Uh, Dr. Ferber? No, I haven't heard of Dr. Ferber. Well, he's quite famous. In fact, he's turned into a verb. Talk about ferberizing your children, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, uh, the thing is that, really? and I, I, you know, he, he, there were a lot of people talking about it, and then there was even a 2020 television program, you know, sort of primetime television program, right. showing how to do this. Dr. Ferber was there. And what, what his system is, and, yes. it, and interestingly, the sleep problems are always one problem. It's trying to get the baby to stay in its own room and be satisfied to sleep by itself. It's loneliness. Yeah, but I mean, what, what is called a sleep problem, in other words, the fact that the baby can't sleep and it cries, that's the problem. Yes, yes. It's cause it wants to be sleeping next to the body of somebody who's alive. Yes, of course, yeah. Right? So that's the problem. Yes. And he's an expert on the problem, you see. Yes, yes. So how do you ferberize a, a baby? Well, what, what, we, what he did, he demonstrated it on the 2020 program. Um, what you do is you put the little victim, the baby, yes, in, into his crib, you know. And, uh, you know, the cage with the bars and everything. Yeah, right. And, um, um, and then you go... You go, uh, it's screaming, of course, you know. Yes. And then you you go in after five minutes, and you sort of pat it down and, you know, give it give it some hope. You know? mm-hmm. And then you tiptoe out of the room, and then um, you let it scream for ten minutes. Well, you start screaming again. Then you let it scream for ten, ten minutes, and then you go in. In other words, you're conditioning the baby. Yes. Over two nights, during which Dr. Ferber was in the bedroom with the parents, heaven knows what he was up to. Yes, yes. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, and he would show them, you see. Mm -hmm. And after after, uh, the second night, this baby, and they were filming the baby, you see, Mm -hmm. between, you know, behind one of those... uh, two-way mirrors, you know, where they were able to film. The baby thought he was alone in the room. Right. And this poor little angel is clutching a teddy bear, an in, inanimate object. Yes. You know, it doesn't know it's supposed to be a bear and it's supposed to be cute. Yes. It's just an inanimate object or a banky, you know. Synthetic, yes. Yes, right. Synthetic and pathetic. You mm, know. Very well. Yes. And and um, and this little little angel, this little two-streaked face, you know, clutching this inanimate object while the parents are, you know, succeeding. Anyway, at the end of the two days, Joanna, this was, yes. it broke my heart to see this. I mean, yeah. I don't burst into tears when I tell you because it's so awful. Yes. At the end of, 
At the end of the two days, Dr. Ferber says to the parents, because by this time the baby has given up, and there it is, it's lying in a pool of its own tears mm -hmm. with this banky, you know, or the teddy bear. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's given up. And he says, these are exact words, I'll never forget them. He said, you see, he has learned to console himself. Wow. What console? I mean, that's even acknowledging the grief. And the parents are supposed to be pleased because he's learned to console himself. Mm. He doesn't have to count on them anymore. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's fervorizing. <sighs> yeah, isn't it sickening? Yes, yes. Um, but the interesting thing yeah. is that when this has happened to you, which is my case, yeah. uh, you don't know what is natural until you know. All right, darling, but, okay, I mean, these parents, I mean, these parents are buying this damn book of Dr. Ferber mm -hmm. and ferberizing their children because they think it's best. They don't know. And the thing is, I mean, what's the, the, the sort of conventional wisdom in, in not just America but the whole of Western Civ is you get pregnant. Oh, you're pregnant. You've got to buy a book. Yes. You've got to buy a crib. A crib. Yeah, you buy a crib, but yeah. you buy a book to set, uh, and somebody tell you what you should do. I mean, but if you had the baby on a desert island, then nobody could tell you anything. You wouldn't need You're a crib. Ex yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't need to, anyone to tell you. You wouldn't need a book. Yes. But the latest, uh, uh, you know, the latest advice, the latest expert is Doctor Spook, as it has been for some time. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or uh, there was a one in uh, in England who was very sort of popular, if I can use that word, for quite a long time. A monster called Truby King, and uh, he was he was advising the uh, you know the um, uh, heroes of the British Empire to be ignored when they cried mm. and never looked at. You never look at a baby, and you never smile at the baby. Oh. And this was, well, this was, you know, uh, popular and accepted in in England. Heart wrenching. It is, yeah. And then the next one is somebody else. But it, it seems that that uh, there's, there's a kind of basic acceptance of the idea that there's a war of self interest between the baby and the mother. Mm -hmm. In other words. The idea is to, is to is to win out over the baby, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you declare war at birth, yeah. right? Yeah, and then you see what you can make him put up with, and what you can do. And I mean, there are people who will sit over them and make them eat, you know, mm -hmm. and there are people who, do you know what I mean? This whole business of of um, confining them and making them sleep by themselves and. Um, making them eat when they're not hungry and not letting them eat when they are hungry because it's not on the schedule, mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. So the thing is, it's not so much whether there's a war, but how to win. Yes, yes, yes. And when you think about it, isn't this insane, the idea to think that we of all species 
I mean, no other, we don't think any other species is at war with their young. Yes. But that we are? I mean, what kind of species would that be? Yes, yes, yes. Crazy. I mean, if the mother's interest and the baby's interest aren't the same, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you don't enjoy nursing your baby and sleeping with your baby, you know, there's something wrong with you. I mean, you're not human. You're some kind of Martian or dinosaur or something. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. all the mammoths on Earth were probably the dinosaurs, too. We were probably happy to nurse their baby dinosaurs. Be nurturing, yes. Yes, but I mean, for example, in uh, in England, they have they have this perfectly logical, rational thing that uh, if they have a kitten in the house, but they don't, you know, if they just adopted a kitten, but they don't have any mama cat, mm-hmm. what they do is they put an alarm clock in the in the in the kitten's basket, so it sounds like a heartbeat, sounds like something alive, and so the kitten can snuggle up to it. Yes, I did that with a puppy. You did. Yes. But what did you think it was about? Well, I just felt it was about heartbeat. Exactly, but you say it was not just heartbeat, it's that there's something alive that its mom is there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the idea that, that they understand that the kittens need, but they don't understand our need? It's amazing. It is amazing when you think about it. So the thing is, I mean, if you and I, just you and I were just sitting and talking, as we are now, in a cafe, and the people at the next table are listening, are they not going to get it? I say, well, of course. What is it that uh, that makes people uh, more and more all over the world get the continuum concept? Well, I think the simple answer to that is that they knew it already. Mm. In their hearts, or whatever you want to call it, in the gizzard, as I call it, you know. Yeah. In yeah. other words, unconsciously. Uh, but they knew it. I mean, if they didn't know it, they, you know, the species wouldn't be here. Yeah. We know. I mean, if you took a big, you know, ugly truck driver with a broken nose and have him in a, in a, you know, uh, in an accident at sea and everything sinks and he's left on a desert island with a baby, not his baby, just a baby. Yes. Don't you think he would know? The baby would let him know how to take care of it. He would instinctively know, you know. He'd find things for it to eat. And, you know, he'd hold it. Because if you put it down, it would cry, and he'd hold it again. You know? Mm-hmm. We've got all the equipment. I mean, when a baby cries, you don't need a dictionary to understand what it's saying. It's built into us. Mm. Right? Mm. So, it's not as though what I'm saying, Jean, what's her name, you know, is saying... Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that interesting that she thought up this clever thing? It's not like that. They say, and this is what I hear all the time. Yeah. They say, well, yeah, I've always thought that. I always felt that to be true. I'm so glad that you put it into words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if, if it were totally news, then I'd be wrong. And I don't think all these people around the world would be so keen to have it. And now they're changing their behavior all over the place, Joanna. It's amazing. You know. And this will change the next generation. This will change. Well, it's spreading around that there's a kind of, it's like a permission. Yes. To do what you always felt like doing. Yes, yes. And, then, the, and then, it isn't even very long ago when some pediatricians um, were saying, don't sleep with the baby because you can roll over and squash him. You know, well, think about that. Where do they think the babies were sleeping in the last 100,000 years? 
Do you know? Well, I mean, I have always said if you're drunk or drugged or in any kind of comatose state, it, of course, is not safe to sleep with a baby. But there's your choice. I mean, either get drunk or, or sleep with the baby. Yes. So the thing is, that doesn't obviate you know, the sleeping with the baby being what is right and what is that. But the important thing is not only for the keen convenience of the, the mother and the baby, but the fact that the baby grows up. And the main sim- symptom of the lack, the what I call the the uh, psychobiological um, malady, mm-hmm. uh, pandemic psychobiological, you know, illness. Yes. That is in Western civilization. Is that you don't feel that you're the right thing. You feel lack of confidence. You feel r- the lack of these these two words about yourself. You don't feel welcome. You don't feel worthy. worthy. Yeah. And if everybody felt well, or you know, just a lot of people felt welcome and worthy, um, you know, we'd be a lot happier because, you know, I mean, these people who the the, the jails are filled with are, are people who they they they're angry, they're hurt, mm-hmm. and happy people are not dangerous. You know? Very well said. Yes. And happy uh, people who are confident in their own rightness walk into a room and sort of quietly expect to be welcomed, you know? And are, have their natural tendency to want to live their love. I hope that doesn't sound too too wimpy, but people want to live their love. Mm. You know, they want to they want to be able to, you know, sort of love around themselves. They want to be yeah. kind to people. They want to see the effects of their kindness. They want to pet other people's children on the head. They want to be nice to puppy dogs and kittens and mm-hmm. baby giraffes and baby hippopotamuses. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We want to live our love. I mean, that's that's you know, it's our sort of natural way of living. Mm-hmm. And we like to laugh a lot. I've noticed. I noticed that about the Yekwana and the Sadima and all the other Indians. Yes. They laugh a lot more often and more heartily than we do. Yes. And I notice this also about the Balinese. Mm-hmm. People in Bali laugh a lot more often than we do. Yes. And I saw also that their their muscle tone, you know, when they're walking around, they don't have sort of squinched up shoulders the way we do. Yeah. I mean, I do. I have a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders. And yes. A lot of people do. And yes, other of people course. have more tension in the middle of their back. And yeah. other ones have, have tension in their jaws, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the Balinese... Like the equana, I found, have the same kind of relaxed mus- muscle tone, which is also a sign. And I, after, after I noticed them, I was in Bali for a little while, and I began to, I thought, I'll bet they treat the children, the babies and the children, the way I say, because otherwise the grown-ups wouldn't be like that. Uh-huh. And sure enough, I went and checked up, and they do. They, they would sleep with the babies and all that. Never let them cry. Yes, yes. And carry them around a lot. Yes. So this really is our nature. This is the species that we are. And I think once we get onto it, we're not going to be talked out of it so quickly next time. You know? This is good. This leads me to what uh, one thing that you said. You said that if uh, children are listened to and uh, treated in a, in a nurturing uh, 
way boys won't be boys. And I thought about the fact that we are very much uh, led to wars and... uh, and to um, to plastic and uh, over gasoline by what I call the the patriarchal society. Yeah. So, what would be your idea of a society where boys wouldn't be boys? Well, I, I wasn't talking so much about boys as, as just boys and girls. I mean, we have this this saying: boys, well, boys will be boys. That never means anything good. It means That's that what I mean. Yeah. Noisy. They're you know. Yeah. No, I, I just wanted to say one thing um, yes. that, that you said. I, I know you said it lovingly, but I don't really quite agree with it. And that is that um, I, I didn't really say that we should listen to boys or we should listen to boys and girls. And in other words, yes, we should listen, of course, if they're speaking, but I don't mean that when they say something we should, you know, sort of... Uh, I mean, grown-ups should do most of the talking. And children should be allowed to be there mm-hmm. and listen, but they shouldn't be centered upon. It, it sounded as though I was saying, "Well, pay attention, and, you know, listen to them, and all that." I did. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, because very often people get the wrong end of the stick, you know, when when I'm saying things like that, and they they sort of center their attention and you know try to figure out what the baby wants or what the child wants. Yes, and then give it to them, and that's not what. A child. I mean, a child really. I mean, it's very often as a two-year-old mummy say, "Oh, what does what was Okums want now?" You know, and and what do you want mummy to do? That's all right. You walk on mummy's face. She doesn't mind. You know, anything you want. And a child gets disoriented because they innately expect that there's a. They have an innate expectation of a hierarchy mm. that the older people know better. Yeah. And they want to follow you around. You you shouldn't be following them around. Right? I see. Yes. So you be busy, you doing your things, and allow them to be there. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And um, but if if they, you know, say, well, I want this and I want that, um, and they start bossing you, well, they're sort of amazed when you obey them because they don't expect that doesn't feel right to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, very often I tell my you know my clients who are consulting me about their children. Yes. You know, they say, you know, when the baby says, well, you know, I want that. Oh, I don't want orange juice. I want apple juice. And the mother said, oh, okay, well, I'll give them apple juice. Um, the child is amazed because it feels as though the mother should be the one who makes the running, who knows what to do. Shouldn't be taking orders from a three-year-old. And it makes them feel insecure to be in a household run by a three-year-old anyway. So what I'm saying is, um, and and also it's, it's what I call when the baby, you know, says, you know, I want this other thing, or stop doing that, and you know, come into the other room, or you know, pick me up, or put me down, or whatever. Um, they, I call it, you know, they push the bun- the button, and the monkey jumps. You see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're amazed because they don't expect when they say, you know, I want this or I want that, that the monkey's going to jump. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when the mother, you know, when I say they take my advice and they stop jumping, yeah, and yeah. then the, and interestingly, in every case, the baby, when it keeps pushing the button and waiting for the monkey to jump, yes, um, after a few days, I mean, first they push the button loud, they scream louder, and they want mummy to do this, and, that. Mm-hmm. and when they give up and realize that the mother is in charge and knows what to do and is in control of the situation. 
they feel so much more serene and relaxed in a very short time, a couple, two or three days or something like that usually. They get that and they feel much better when they're not expected to be in charge. Right. That's very, very important advice. Yeah, and they, you know, you wouldn't expect it. You'd think they'd be angry if they couldn't get their yes. way. Yes, of in course. In fact, they're more happy, more serene when they don't get their way. Mm-hmm. But they have to keep trying until they know it's not going to work. Yes. And then they can settle down and be happy. Interesting. Um, how can we show uh, authority to children uh, without uh, 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 without overwhelming them? But uh, you just be do what you're doing. Yes. You know, and uh, keep doing it. I mean, you know, it, 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 say for example, you're the baby's uh, little tot, whatever, is in the next room, and it falls down. It goes, wah, you know, it just mm-hmm. got right because it fell down. And um, you, you're in the kitchen, you rush in, and you, oh, oh, are you hurt? You, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, which is what I suggest, yes. is a general thing. Uh, the baby falls down and goes boom, what we used to call it, fall down and go boom. And what the baby, you know, wah, and then the mother in the kitchen says, here I am, darling, you know, and the baby comes in to the mother without mm-hmm. interrupting, without changing the mother's behavior. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that children very often try to change the mother's behavior. This is what I'm talking about, pushing the button and having the monkey jump, pretty much the same kind of thing. Uh-huh. So you don't, let the child change your behavior, right? Very interesting. Just go on doing what you do. I mean, if you've got both legs broken, okay, you can go to the baby. (laughs) 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 Yes, go to the emergency room immediately. So, I mean, the point is that things are in order, and the the child has this built into them that they expect the hierarchy. They do not expect to be the boss. Mm Mm-hmm. But the thing is, very often when people come to consult me, they've already established that the baby is bossing them. Yeah. So they have to go through a transition period. But if you don't let the baby boss you in the first place, you just, you're saying, what did you say, maintain authority or something like that? The thing is, you've got the authority. You've got the authority because no matter what kind of crazy, drunken, whatever you would be, a baby looks at you and his mother and father as the authorities of the world. Yeah. It's his nature, you know? Yeah. And if you treat him as though he's a, 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 a boring or objectionable or, you know, uh, uninteresting, unlovable object, then that's the way he'll feel about himself on your authority, which is why it's so dangerous for parents to, you know, make children on their, their authority is so powerful that if you treat the child as, you know, unworthy of answering when it cries or when it's upset or, mm-hmm. you know, when it wants to sleep with you and needs to be held, you know, in the first six or eight months, uh, it feels as though it's not good enough and that stays with it through life. Life, yes. I mean, I feel it even now. I don't know how you are, but... Oh, Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you can ask anyone, you know, really in confidence, Joanna, just among your friends or anything, do you really feel that this is this is the ideal way, that really, you know, where this is the center, this is the right way that the universe should be, and, you know, you feel totally confident in your worth and you're welcome. Just about nobody, really, when they think about it, does feel that, you know. And we should. We, we're the right stuff, you know. 
Yeah, I'll... You were an adorable little baby girl. I was an adorable little baby girl. Yeah. We just didn't get it from our parents, and we can't get it otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Jean, I, I've, it's been years. I mean, it's been uh, 12, 13 years I've been thinking about this particular question. You have? Um, well, in the sense that you you describe that if uh, a parents ha- a parent has an expectation of the child, like uh, the child will fall in the fire, um, the child most likely will do that while it's diff- well. It's very powerful because I mean, what is what we mean when we say that the human being is a social animal? Yes, means that we look around us and perceive what is expected of us in our society, in our culture, or in our family, right? right? Especially in the family. And, you know, if if you keep saying, now, don't get up on that, you'll fall. You know, I mean, people very often actually put make it as a promise. Yes. Don't get up on that, that you'll fall. fall. And they don't mean it to be taken that way, but children take these things literally. And, you know, they'll eventually fall, you know. Yes. Because they're expected to. Yes. And, um, I mean, there's, it's a powerful force to get children. I mean, it's like uh, when you take a child to the park and you say, now don't run away, now stay with you, stay where I can see you, now don't run away. Well, what you're doing is suggesting to this child, <laughs> you know, that yeah. it wants to run away. Yes. And it would never have dreamt of it otherwise. There's no other animal in the entire kingdom of vertebrates and mammals has ever run away from its parents except us. <laughs> you know? Yes. And you see, you know, you see these mothers, nannies running after these, uh, these little escapees. Yeah. You know, and we've, ma- we've named the game, you see, mm. in the jungle. Mm. The, uh, the the Indian uh, mothers never turn around to see whether the baby is following her th- along through the jungle. You know, yeah. she knows the baby's following. It. It's mm-hmm. in the baby's interest. He doesn't know anybody else. Uh-huh. He's going to follow you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so to- totally, you know, animal mm-hmm. to follow your mother mm-hmm. when you're a little thing. You know your stage of helplessness and dependence. And you stay with your mother or whoever's, you know, your big sister or your father or whatever. But how can we change our expectations when we've been, we've been brought up, when we've been reared with those negative expectations? How can well, we change it when we have a child? All right, Diane, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. Every, unfortunately, yeah. we have got to depend upon the intellect. Yeah which has been so, so unreliable up until now. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Uh-huh. But we've got to go back to the intellect because we've got to change the behavior of our culture. Yes. Our society and what your mother-in-law tells you and what your neighbor tells you. Mm-hmm. You've got to just, you know, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but you've got to either read my book or somebody who's read it and talk about it and try it and see how they're behaving. I mean, your little grandchildren now are examples, right? Absolutely. Okay, now the people around them are going to get it. They say, well, how did they get that way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're going to want to find out. Absolutely. And they're going to go back to principal, and then they say, oh, yeah, of course, because they're going to hook up with that inside themselves that knew it all along. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, that so makes a, powerful, a lot of sense. There's a powerful sort of lobbyist out there, and it's the gut of every single person. Once they see it and feel it, they're going to recognize, of course, they're going to say. By attraction. 
by attraction. Yes. By what? By attraction. No, not just attraction, but by recognition. By recognition, yes. That they knew it all along inside themselves somewhere. That's right. They're going to see your grandchildren and say, well, how did they get that way? Why aren't my children like that? Right. And then, then you know, when when your daughter, Laura, explains it, they'll say, well, yeah, of course. Do you know? Yes, yes. I mean, I have a, a client who is uh, um, in Hawaii most of the time. Mm-hmm. He has this child um, and she was you know treating it in this way and all these people around her her friends they were so thrilled about the way her baby was they wanted to know yes so she they made her set up a class to teach them mm. and she became she you know became actually had formal meetings and classes to teach them yeah they all wanted to have their babies like her baby yes yes so and and now in England where they're doing this uh, a series of, of documentaries, um, they're going to show the difference between Truby King and Doctor Spook and mm-hmm. the, the succession of so-called experts and how the, well they're saying the majority of all these different classes of English are coming around to the continuum concept mm. and that's what the series is about. And then there's another one who's doing a, a series in Spain. Uh, not a series. Well, I don't know whether it's... I think it's just a, a television program in Spain about it. Yes, yes. Because people want to know. And, you know, when when one person gets it, as I say, you know, when Laura is showing... Laura. Doing with your little sunflower. Yes. There were other ones who want sunflowers and not weeds in their own garden. That's right. That's right. So what else can we do? I mean, what else can we do? Tell me. I mean, if you got any ideas. I well, mean, people do. I mean, somebody rang me up only yesterday. Yes. From Rochester, New York. And yeah. she had some ideas, you know, how to get the word to more people and so forth and other people. You know, let's just, because we care. And, you know, so I said, well, okay, you're on the team. Absolutely. And uh, Future Primitive, uh, I want Future Primitive to be a vehicle uh, a, a vessel for this for this message. Well, yes, but you know, I mean, this is us. This is us. We're on the team, right? Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Well, I looked at your website, your future primitive website. And you seem to be going in that direction. Yes, this is what uh, future primitive stands yeah. for. Yes. Yeah. Now, Gina, we can tell each other. We can talk to each other on the telephone, even we, when we're not broadcasting. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and then there's that website, you know, which is continuum-concept.org. Yes. In that, America. And that's run by somebody else voluntarily, somebody in Oregon, on his own initiative, not mine. Yes, this is www.continuum-concept.org. Excellent. Now, but let me ask you uh, one more question, Jean. Please. Tell me how it has changed your life to uh, make these discoveries, write your book, and uh, get the word out. But I don't know. I mean, as you said, I'm living alone on my house, but I'm still looking for Mr. Wright. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the right pussycat, but I haven't got the right biped. I get it. <laughs> I've got a good quadruped. But, you know, I'm still looking, and, and I have a quite a pleasant life. And um, I mean, 
when I'm asked to go abroad and speak, I mean, somebody's asked me to go abroad next um, spring. Yes. Uh, end of winter and spring to speak in Europe in, in four or five countries. And I'll go and I'll speak and I'll do what I can and try to get other people like you to go, you know, to sort of spread the word from you, not just from me, you know. Yes. And, and your grandchildren be the examples and just have it, I mean, as much as one can. I mean, I feel as though I've been given this incredibly beautiful gift to give. Mm-hmm. And I want to give it to people who will give it, you know. Yes. And I just feel incredibly lucky to be, I mean, it's so lucky to have a gift to give mm-hmm. that's so, so beautiful and so, so, I mean, that you can cause happiness in people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I'm just incredibly lucky. Yes, yes. So, really... you know, the rest of the time I'm sitting around scratching and looking at the sky and not doing much of anything useful, <laughs> Well, I think we will bring this around, and I just want to ask you if there is something you'd like to add to the things you've said. Um, well, no, I can't think of anything in particular. I am, I am actually um, sort of fiddling with the idea of writing a, a memoir, which is people have been at, at me for years to write a memoir because I have had a very lucky life and, and am having a lucky life. And, mm-hmm. Um, I'm also thinking about, I've been sort of vaguely thinking about son of continuum concept or whatever yeah but um, you know uh, it, it's it's pretty much um, what you and I have been talking about I mean I don't have any secrets or anything mm-hmm. and I do I do go and speak when I'm asked to well I I hope we can arrange for you to come to Spain that would be really wonderful Maybe to well, Greece. That would be lovely. I've already spoken twice in Spain, and I'm happy to go again. And Good. I do speak Spanish fluently. Oh. And I also speak Italian and French fluently. Just like me. Just and like me. English. Oh, really? Yes. Exactly. No Greek. <laughs> no Greek. So 15 no, no, words of Greek. Greek yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'd love to go. And I would love. I would love to. If you, if Laura can get me a Greek publisher, I've got all these other. Uh, countries but I don't have Greek we will we will see about that it okay. would be great okay I think I've got 34 other other uh, countries love languages yes which is quite a lot but this uh, is good for the future of the world or this the the, our little world, world. But how lucky we are to, to be able to do that uh, Joanna you know yes yes absolutely all right then well um, I send you much, much, much warmth, and I thank you with all my heart. Okay, well, my darling, I send you a big hug, and, and to all your listeners and people who are going to put themselves on the team. Great, great. Okay. All right. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.